please turn in your New Testaments to 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. And this is the very word of God. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Therefore, we need not say anything. I want to begin by just declaring that this passage is remarkable. Because what it's saying is that if acted on, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform our city and regions beyond. It was 50 AD when three men walked into Thessalonica, it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. There were 200,000 people in the city. It was a major port city. It was on one of the major Roman highways, the, the Ignatian Way or the Ignatian Road. And they're walking into town, you know, and the gospels never come to this city of 200,000 people with temples of pagan gods everywhere. I mean, you know, I kind of have this romanticized view that somehow they're like three gospel high plains drifters, you know, like a Clint Eastwood movie, how the three bad dudes kind of come into town. I can almost hear the theme song of the good, the bad and the ugly, you know. Yeah. Let me tell you, that's not how it was. That's not how it was. I am almost certain that nobody noticed these people. And, and they walked into this city and, and basically they found a local person and said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? And the question was, could you direct me to a Jewish synagogue? Well, it's just, it's just five blocks on the right, three blocks on the left, and you'll find it. Because Paul, who had been trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most famous teachers in all Israel, Paul, who was formerly one of the leaders of the Pharisee party in Jerusalem, gained easy access to the synagogues out in the Roman world. And he certainly did this. And if you later, if you want to look at Acts 17, that's the story of everything that happens kind of in a narrative, a history of when the gospel came to Thessalonica. And it, we learn in Acts 17 that Paul preached three Sabbaths in a row. And we read in Acts 17, 4, let's listen carefully to this, okay? This is amazing. 
Some of the Jews were persuaded, meaning of the gospel. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. I mean, the gospel came to town through these three men and Paul begins to proclaim the gospel and a goodly number of people say, this is what we've been looking for our entire lives. And they put their trust in Jesus and a church is born. Well, it, it kind of it kind of gets more complicated from there because Paul, you know, he also preached outdoors. He also preached in the marketplace. And as Paul was preaching outdoors... Crowds began to gather, and the Jewish leaders of the Jewish synagogue who heard Paul identify Jesus as the Messiah and irritation, Jesus of Nazareth, can anything good, you know, and and irritation is rising, and basically, if we just kind of put it in modern language, they paid some thugs to rough up the new Christians, and and a kind of riot broke out in Thessalonica, Several of them were hauled before the authorities already because of the gospel. One of the believers named Jason was was treated so harshly and, and terribly. And Paul was spirited away by the new believers out of the city to a, a city not far away called Berea. These three men who walked into town unnoticed three weeks earlier were pretty much the topic of conversation in Thessalonica among many folks that had seen the uproar. But here's the point. A church was born, and we learn from this book, and particularly this passage, what a church it was. Brand new believers. What a church it was. And this church impacted the entire city. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. The gospel can impact a city, a region, and regions beyond. So, you have a pen, or maybe there's a pencil in front of you. I want you to write this on your bulletin. Get a pen or a pencil out, please. So, I'm going to give you a formula. It comes out of the text. Maybe you can talk about it later at lunch, okay? The formula is chosen plus gospel plus the power of the Holy Spirit plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. Let me say it again. Chosen plus gospel plus the power of the Holy Spirit plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. The first thing Paul says is it's about the sovereignty of God. It's about the fact that people are chosen by God. Verse 4 to the new believers, for we know brothers, they have believed, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full or deep conviction. You know, sometimes we forget that God chooses people before people choose God. Sometimes we put ministry in the realm of of our ability to argue, to be nimble, to, to kind of flank people with our arguments, all of which is fine. And, and we do persuade men, Paul tells us. But, but you know, God chooses people. And the word here means the act of deliberately 
selecting someone or something. Now, before, and particularly if you're a visitor, before you get all consumed about predestination and about, you know, the fact that, that God chooses people, you need to just stop for a minute and see it in the text. And really what you need to do is be amazed that God chooses anybody. God, none of us certainly should be chosen by God. And it is because every one of us are sinners to our core. We are tainted with selfishness and sin. And God is three times holy. And there is nothing in any of us that God said, ooh, I really want him or her based on the fact of how good or how how neat or how gifted or, or pretty or handsome or whatever they are. No. No, salvation has to be of God and not from us. He chooses. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. All this is saying that these three men walked into a Roman city of 200,000 people to plant a thriving church, and it happened precisely first because God was already there, because God already had a plan, because God was already at work. That's encouraging if you care about the spread of the gospel. You know, the fact that God has chosen, if we can disconnect from all the arguments for a minute, this is so comforting to those of us who are willing to risk rejection or negative emotions or negative responses because of the gospel. We're showing and telling the gospel. And this answers the question. Will anyone put their trust in Jesus? Because they hear and see the gospel through us? The answer is yes. You see, thankfully, this isn't a matter of if and when someone might put their trust in Christ. This is a matter in a group of people coming into the city of when and how many. Do you understand that? God is sovereign. God is king over all the cosmos. We read in 1 Corinthians 18.10... Uh, in Achaia or Achaia, people say, uh, that's the next province over that these folks sent the gospel to. There's this city called Corinth. You know, books called First and Second Corinthians. This is how the gospel got to them. Paul goes to Corinth and the same thing. And, and there's, there's all this threatening. And God says to Paul in First Corinthians 18.10, do not be afraid for I have many people in this city. Wait, that can't be true. There's, this is pre-gospel. This is before the gospel came to the sea. What's God saying? I've already chosen them. Don't leave. Don't be afraid. I've got many people in this city. Keep going. This is a foundational reason for faith. As we share and show the gospel to other people. It's the same now. And, and, you know, let's reach out to people knowing that God's already going before us, knowing that that God's already 
the one, you see. So chosen plus gospel plus the power of the Spirit plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. The second one is gospel. Verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only with word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction or full assurance. They literally transported the gospel. Do you see what they claim? They say it is our gospel. Don't you love that? It's not just the gospel. It's our gospel. It's the one we have. It's the one we carry in our lives. And where we go, because we love God and we have a call on our life, the gospel goes. Because our gospel came to you not with words only, but with power. People tend to think of the gospel as a competing religious philosophy in the marketplace of ideas. And and, and in one sense it is. But there's another sense that it certainly is not. Because the gospel, folks, is not an idea, right? The gospel is news, Hard news, like hard news that's reported on the evening news when somebody says, this happened today. You see, the gospel isn't just one of these, wouldn't it be nice and wouldn't you like to and imagine this and that. No, the gospel has to do with what has happened. Now, the gospel comes with words. You see this in the text? The gospel has specific content. It is about the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son and Jesus lived for us. Jesus died for us and our sins were, the, the punishment for our sins were carried about out upon him so we don't have to face the wrath of God so that sinners who can't get a cannot erase their sin, cannot transform their selfishness because of the work of another person who said it is done, right? It is finished. This is the gospel. It needs to be verbalized, but it is news. And what that means is that you and I certainly persuade people. Paul did this in Athens in the marketplace. He even went up to the kind of the faculty of the the philosophy department of the University of Athens, so to speak, and the Areopagus of the, the philosophers of all the world. And yet what he said after he talked about their gods and their philosophies, he said, this is what happened. And here's what it means. And you know what? God did this. And that's why it succeeded and it cannot fail. And if you want to be free, then you need to put your trust in what God has done rather than you. It's a beautiful thing. We simply announce the gospel. This isn't anything that is ours in the sense that we did it. You don't have to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. In fact, you cannot. I mean, don't you like that? I mean, look how God-saturated this is. Look, God's chosen. Yeah, they're going to come. God's chosen. I've already acted in history. This isn't just an idea. This happened. Announce what happened so that people can respond to what God has done. And he freely gives salvation through the work of his son 
in the cross and in the empty tomb for, for a new life. Okay, chosen plus gospel plus the power of the Spirit plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. Third, the power of the Spirit. Our gospel came not only to you with words, but with power and in the Holy Spirit. You know, people do say no one's ever been argued into the kingdom of God. And that is true. And you know why that's true? Because nothing except for the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit can ever turn a heart to Christ, can ever make a person new. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in in conjunction with the gospel. Yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we need to go we need to say it to them and we need to be sent for them to hear it. But our condition, folks, is not sickness before God. We don't there's we don't need medicine. Now, our condition is spiritual death and nothing less than the regenerating, resurrecting, life-giving power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Nothing less than that can bring us to life so that we can see the wonder of what has been done and be able to respond and be free in the presence of God and be loved forever. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, you see, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Did you see that? You were dead. Even though you were dead, who, who made you alive? God made you alive. Do you see how different this is than simply arguing a competing philosophy? This happened before the foundation of the world. This was accomplished in human history and it is meaningful because God is holy and we're not and nothing less than full atonement can do it. And that's what the cross is for our sin. And dead people don't choose Christ. God awakens them and, and they, they, they come to life. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. Um, you know, I've told you before, right there at Auburn University. It used to be a happier statement than it is now. Right there at Quarterback University. Uh, man, I, I'm just telling you, I, I was, as I, I say it like it is, I was a turbo pagan. Living for myself a hundred miles per hour, trying to pour anything and everything I could on my insecure heart to make myself okay. I would tell you three weeks, three weeks before I bowed the knee, so to speak, and, and put my trust in Jesus. Three weeks I was mocking God. As loud as I could, out loud. That was when the televangelists, remember the Jimmy Swaggerts and all, that's when all that was happening. And man, we people who hated Christ, we love that. I was one of the most vocal, God-mocking people you have ever met. And three weeks later, I was 
figuratively on my knees confessing that God had done this for me and there was no other way but just simply receive this gift of salvation. And it was amazing, y'all, to suddenly see the gospel of grace and eagerly respond. I didn't say, well, you know, I just this is all going to be up to me. And well, I, I mean, okay, forgiveness of sins, new life, um, I might want that, I might not. I can't tell you how relieved I was when God awakened me, the Spirit awakened me to the gospel and I understood it was Jesus for me, him in my place. End of story, end of struggle, give up. Yes, of course, I want that forgiveness and that love and that forgiveness can never fail because it was no human being, no fallible person that secured my salvation. And it was none other than the Holy Spirit, three weeks after mocking God, that just awakened me to this. So gospel, our chosen, plus gospel, plus power of the Spirit, plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. This produces deep conviction in the hearts of people that know him. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only with words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, or the NIV says deep conviction. Now, the the word full conviction literally means filled up, satisfied, complete certainty, or deep conviction, full assurance. Christianity, as I've said, is about what is. It's not just an idea. It's about what is. God did this. Grace is. And we who put our trust in Jesus, you know what we have? Our sins are wiped out. We are accepted before God. We've been given God's very righteousness to keep us us saved to keep us considered acceptable by God all of this has been given to us by grace through the work of Jesus Christ through the 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 Holy Spirit applying the gospel to our lives and I'll tell you what we get we get full assurance totally complete satisfied certainty that we know God You'll ever have, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to worry and you don't have to wonder whether God's going to change his mind, whether this is real or not, et cetera, et cetera. No, this is full assurance. Full assurance. I mean, isn't that wonderful? And this assurance drives us forward. It, it becomes a, a deep conviction, that, that assurance. The word assurance and conviction are kind of the same. They, it has to, be, has to do with being satisfied, filled up for certain, convicted, assured. But that assurance, I'm just going to put it in kind of the way we use the language, that assurance of, yes, now I know God. And I know that I know. This then becomes the deep conviction that others must know him too. And that is what's going on in Thessalonica. That this is, this, is, this is the central thing for them. The deep conviction is around this, this, 
this driving force of the centrality of the gospel in their lives. It's kind of the one thing that everything is arranged around. I mean, really, truly, it's Christianity, right? It's Christ-centered. It's about the gospel, right? Is Christ, is your full assurance and living out of that full assurance with deep conviction, is that the one thing in your life? Now, look, I know there are times when I I, I would answer that question more yes than more no. And there are times that I would answer that question more no than more yes. And frankly, what that's called is non-Christianity. That's called idolatry. That's just what it's called. That's called living for something else other than the God who loves you. It's the one thing we must do. We must celebrate the full assurance that we have in Jesus. We must relax for the very first time in God's presence and rest in our souls. And we must let his love, which is overflowing, become that which compels us to give the gospel to other people by just walking with them, showing them, telling them. It's the one thing we must do, and we will not be stopped. I don't care if there's three people going into a city of 200,000 people. We will not be stopped. But you know, I think sometimes we, we struggle with this. We are Americans after all. We're able to buy things and consume things and they... Everybody in the world is producing everything for our, for, our, for our consumption and our ease and, and our happiness. And everybody on the advertising thing either says on the TV or in the advertising either says we, you know, we're a loser without their product or their product is going to finally give us happiness, you know, whatever it is. And sometimes we, we kind of act like that with the gospel, to be honest with you. I mean, sometimes we, we know we are saved. We know we are loved forever. We know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, adopted into God's family forever. But we're not letting this full assurance really impact our lives. Knowing God is not the main thing. And, and when, when this wonder of the gospel and this resting in Christ and this full assurance of the gospel is not being translated into deep conviction to live out the gospel, that's a problem. You know, one of my heroes is uh, Dr. Frank Barker. Dr. Frank Barker was for about 40 years, I think, the pastor of one of the most well-known churches in the United States, Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I met him for the first time when I was a sophomore in college and I was still a non-Christian. And Frank Barker actually shared the gospel with me personally and I didn't come to Jesus. Aren't you encouraged that Frank Barker shared the gospel with me and I didn't come to Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit's got to do it. But, um, you know, he started this church in a, like a storefront and it became something like a 6,000 member church or something. I don't remember. Um, but you know the really interesting thing about, about this guy, Frank Barker? is not what he is. The fascinating thing about him, if you knew him, you would just get this, is what he's not. He's not eloquent. He kind of mumbles when he talks. He's not dynamic. He's just not. In in fact, when Frank Barker walks into a room, unless people already know who he is, nobody even notices that he walks in. 
And he kind of waddled when he walked. You know, as opposed to some people who kind of stride into a ring, everybody's like, whoa, who's that? Not him. And um, he's very plain, very ordinary, and his preaching is so no frills, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, somebody would come to Briarwood Presbyterian Church, they'd, they'd sit out in the sanctuary, and Frank Barker would stand up, and he'd say, um, uh, well, um, uh, turn in your Bibles to... Um, First Thessalonians, I'm not kidding, that's the way he talks to uh, First Thessalonians. And, and people are going, that's not him. This is somebody else reading the scripture so that the man can come up. And then they had this incredible realization. Oh my, that is him. And, and, and the most amazing thing happens. As they're sitting there listening, something sneaks up on them. It's happened to me. Something just sneaks up on them, overtakes them, rivets this, them to this man and to his words. More than a few people that I know have remarked that there, is, there was unbelievable power in the preaching of this man. You know what it was? You were sitting there listening to him mumbling and saying, um. All of a sudden it hit you. This guy really believes this. This guy not only believes this, this guy is living this in technicolor. And suddenly all this window dressing and all this impressiveness just goes away and there is deep conviction coming out of full assurance happening right there in front of you. Not everybody can project it like he does out of such an ordinary frame, but it is a marvel to see. And you know what it does? It just draws you to Christ. And, and there is something in you. I mean, I've heard people talk about this, that even before they came to know Christ, they said something about, I gotta, I'm going in that direction and I can't help it. It's amazing. Full assurance in the gospel should, must become deep conviction to live the gospel out. So, we have chosen plus gospel plus the power of the Holy Spirit plus deep conviction equals gospel revolution. And this has to do with how we show other believers the reality of this deep conviction in the gospel and they are motivated and that this becomes just more than you and me. This becomes the church in action, and this begins to go across boundary lines and county lines and state lines and national and international lines. Verse 5, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere so that we don't even need to say it. What these believers saw in the three men who walked into Thessalonica 
into 200,000 people that did not know Christ yet? This, this isn't primarily about godliness. I mean, it is about godliness, but what it's about is how they lived for the sake of, of the people that they share. This is about sacrificial love and how full assurance becomes deep conviction that we act on in faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they saw it in these men and they said, that must be what a normal Christian life is like. And they began to imitate that. They said, well, you know what you do is you not only rejoice and celebrate the gospel in your life, you give it to other people and they gave it to other people even when it cost them, did you see this, in, in great affliction. All you got to do is read Acts 17 to see that people are getting beat up. And, and all these things that, that don't happen to me and you when we're brand new Christians. I didn't get beat up when I come to, came to Jesus. Now, I got ridiculed, but I didn't get beat up. And they saw this, and now believing the gospel, they want to do the same. They imitated the apostles seeing a ministry mindset that was just standard equipment. Y'all, we need to ask the question, if, if ministry mindset, if caring about other people, if coming out of our comfort zone, if showing and tell the gospel is standard equipment, or whether it is just like, like, like the special, what the special forces do. The whole reason this thing is going viral in the ancient world and going all out into Macedonia and Achaia and beyond is because this is standard equipment. And it's just uncontainable. It's just uncontainable. In much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I can put my finger on any joy higher than the joy of someone coming to Christ, of someone who is under the wrath of God being forgiven, being adopted into the very family of God, loved forever. You know, the scriptures tell us when one person believes, you know what happens? Heaven just breaks loose in a party, right? The person who shares the gospel is so excited. The person who receives the gospel is so excited and the church is so excited i don't think there's a joy greater than that joy right there because it really is joy in the holy spirit you know i there's a there's a person in my neighborhood i've been there 10 and a half years in my neighborhood you know we're, we're trying to reach out the intersections of life right now i'm gonna tell you that doesn't mean you you like walk you know, move in your neighborhood and say, hey, I made you some biscuits. By the way, you're going to hell without Jesus. You know, that's not the way that works, right? Well, ten and a half years later, I was standing in someone's driveway about two months ago, and that conversation turned in an incredible way, almost unexpected way, because I'm always testing it a little bit. And I got to share the gospel. And do you know that person demanded to come to know Christ, right there in their driveway. And we didn't get down on our knees, but right there, we bowed our heads. And I said, you just want to pray silently? No, I'm praying out loud. Right there and then, this, this man received Christ. Heaven was rejoicing. I can't tell you how thrilled I was and relieved I was. 
And he looked at me and I said, now, you know, let's don't go by our feelings. He said, no, I actually feel, I actually feel that God has forgiven me. I said, come back and tell me that in a couple of days. He came back in a couple of days and he goes, I still know that God has forgiven me. I've already, he's at college and I've already had him sit down with an RUF minister who is just blown away at the reality of this man's conversion. That's about the happiest thing that's happened in my life in the last three months. So what about you? Where is your deepest conviction? What is your highest joy? I mean, this is better than an SEC West championship, I promise. See, it's easy for me to say that now as an Auburn. <laughs> Could you feel the bitterness in that? Okay, one more thing, and then we'll finish. Because it really does get better. Just one more little thing. Deep conviction laced with the joy of the Holy Spirit calls them to expand the gospel beyond Thessalonica. You became an example to all the believers. The believers said, that's what it looks like. We're doing that. We want to trust God like them. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And for the word has sounded forth from you. It means like the pealing of a bell, like this clear sound that you cannot ignore to all of Macedonia into the next province where Corinth is and that it has gone forth everywhere. You know, I started this, this whole adventure we've been on this morning with the statement of how remarkable this passage is. Do you remember that? It was about 35 minutes ago. And started with the amazing prospect that the gospel can change a city our city ended with an even more amazing truth that the gospel can change a city and a region and the regions next to it and the regions beyond. So yes, the gospel can impact our city through ordinary believers, standard equipment believers like us who know that it's about chosen, the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, deep conviction, and how that leads to gospel revolution. We must not only show and tell the gospel in our lives, look, we need to continue in this church and if you're new, you'll just find this out. We, we are committed to starting new churches. We already have, and we will. Right now, we are a part of starting a church in Lafayette, Louisiana, and looking at some other places in Arkansas. Next week, there will be one of our church planners here giving you a testimony of what you are doing through your partnership in the gospel in Arkansas, in a very needy place in Arkansas right now. And in missions. If you go on the second floor, you can see a map. You can just see the, the, the evidence of the fact that, you know, yes, we believe that you matter. I matter. We matter at the intersections of life and culture in this country and even to the ends of the earth. But it all starts right here with hearts that are convicted of the sovereignty of God and therefore emboldened and assured and the power of the gospel. Is that you? Let's let it be you and me.
and us. And the fun really will have just begun along with the affliction and the joy that comes through it all. You up for that? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we are chosen in you. We are thankful that you in history came and secured the salvation of all who believe. We are thankful that your spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, applies salvation to our hearts, bringing us to life. We are thankful for the full assurance that you give us that we are indeed the children of God, that we are forgiven, that we are loved forever. Would you convert that in our lives to deep conviction to show and tell the gospel? If you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you've never understood it, but now you get it and you'd like to, you just pray with me, Lord, I see it. I can't do this on my own. Now I see you did it. You've awakened me to this. I want to turn away from everything I have called religion and everything I have called Christianity. I want to turn away from my own selfishness, Lord, to you and what you have done for me on the cross. Lord, thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now you have forgiven me. Even now you have set my feet on pilgrimage with ministry that will bring the greatest joy. Would you do that in our life as a church, as well as our lives individually. In Jesus' name, amen.